0: Hi, this is Paul McCusker, and I'm here on the Wits End Podcast.
1: This is the Wits End Podcast. So awesome, it'll blow your face face off. So strap your face on, and let's let's go.
2: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 82 of the Woodson Podcast. I'm Bren.
1: And I'm Matthew. Today we have the special treat that we've been talking about for the past several months. We interviewed Paul McCusker, the one, the only writer of Adventures in Odyssey, and he came onto the show and we talked with him, and today we're going to play that for you. Actually, Ryan's going to push play, I'm just going to sit here and talk. So, here we go. Roll it.
0: Okay!
2: Wait, not the polka music, the interview!
0: Oh! Well... Don't ask me where the poker music came from.
2: Hey, Matthew, pass the popcorn. Here you go. Thank you. So the first question was from The Mysterious, and he wants to know, how did you get the ideas for the novels such as Strange Journey Back?
0: Well, uh... Those ideas come from wherever we can get any of our ideas. Uh, Like with the novels, uh, I was thinking of a parallel series with the novels to the uh, audio series, and um, just wanted to do something different from what we were doing in the audio series, and uh, just had the idea, I think the very first book, the main idea, was centered around, well, if you could go back and change something from the past, uh, especially for a boy um, like Mark Prescott, whose parents had split up and he somehow feels responsible. Uh, what if he could go back and make some changes? Of course, meeting with uh, Mr. Whitaker and the Imagination Station kind of set it up uh, in his mind for an opportunity to do that. And it sort of sprung out from there. The I think the first six books were interrelated around Mark Prescott, and then we branched out from there to some other things for the remainder. Uh, but I... We've always said it, basically, we, we will take our ideas wherever we can get them. As they come to mind, we figure if they're appropriate to the uh, Odyssey program and our Odyssey audience, then we'll do them. But uh, uh, I, I can't remember a very specific thing for the first book itself, but um, pretty much it's whatever input from things I'm watching or reading or, uh, I don't know, family, a- anything that inspires. Awesome. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah, um, how did you guys um intend for Jason to stop Agent Billings at the end of the labyrinth? There, because uh, Austin Peachin asks, how did Jason stop Agent Billings from killing Mister in The last part of the labyrinth, I was disappointed that we never got to hear the uh, Jason stop
0: him. Well, it's funny about that because um, uh, you know Nathan Hubler and I wrote wrote the shows, and and we thought it was more dramatic to end the scene where we did to raise the question, and then to come away. Mm-hmm. Uh, though I don't know that I fully appreciated uh, that it seemed ambiguous enough that uh, for some people, uh, Jason may have physically stopped Billings by struggling with him or whatever. I think it was in my mind that um, having, having put his life on the line, Jason stopped Billings because Billings ultimately couldn't kill Jason in order to, to fulfill his, his revenge yeah. against Groat. So I, I think I was in the non-active mode that when it came down to it, even though Billings kept saying he was going to do it, that when it came down to doing it, he couldn't. Right. Makes sense. But I am sorry if that was anticlimactic for some people who wanted uh, big drama or wanted us to be be clear about that. Well,
1: I was just going to say that- it, it, I thought it I
0: was pretty good myself.
1: Yeah. It's being left ambiguous like that. It leaves it more to the imagination and- um, you can sort of end it
0: yourself. I'd love to go back to the fans and find out what they thought happened then. Did they think there was a struggle? Did they think Billings just couldn't go through with it? Or did something else happen? It's it's often fun in a case like that to see what the fans think. Yeah.
1: yeah I'm not sure what the general consensus is, but personally, I thought there was a, a little bit of a schedule, uh, struggle, but Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, actually, uh, Nathan just suggested that what people don't realize is that Jason actually changed his mind and he and Billings killed Grote. <laughs>
2: mm.
0: No, or, 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 or not. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh-huh. It's still ambiguous.
2: So another interesting thing that's come up, especially as of late with the Odyssey Adventure Club, and this is a question that Will L. brought up, what in the AIO world is considered canonical? I would assume that every AO episode, aside from things like Dobson comes to town, actually happened in the world of Odyssey. But does every AO book take place in the same world? What about uh, books like *Kidsboro* and the *Jones and Parker Mysteries* and *Clubhouse*?
0: Well, the it's funny because um, we we view the world of Odyssey as fairly large, and um, every discipline, whether it's if we're doing um, the audio. If we're doing books, if we're doing film, whatever we're doing, every discipline has its own rules, and um, so the big the big thing to remember is that what we're able to do in books, for example, uh, can expand the world of Odyssey in ways that, for example, uh, we might have limitations with audio. So um, that's the big answer because it, it what happens then. In, in what we call canonical what we always hope we have and canonical would be uh, the idea of of consistency in other words um, if if we have established for example that part of one of wit's ears is missing because of a wound in the war we would want that to be consistent in all of all of the different mm-hmm. uh, disciplines that we might employ. Uh, but there are other things, for example, the rules for the imagination station. Uh, we do have rules that we abide by. Now we do stretch them and play with them f- from time to time and um, in the audio world. And then when we touch on them as we have in the imagination station books, or with other types of books, we play with them. For example, you mentioned, um, we talked about Strange Journey Back. Well, Strange Journey Back was the very first time that we actually allowed a character going in to go to his own past. Now, we'd never done that before on the radio program. Well, one of the reasons we could excuse that is because it's the imagination station. I mean, the whole idea is that it's, it's working within the imagination of the user, And so uh, there was no big argument or debate saying we couldn't do that, even though we hadn't done it in the audio world. So there are are certain things that we lock into, and really the cornerstone is the audio. Uh, Everything else kind of springs out from that. And that's why we have Nathan Hubler in particular, and others who become key people uh, who know the show so well, that they're able to find as we're developing new projects and as we're doing new things to, to look for the consistency to make sure that we're not contradicting ourselves by adding something into the, um, what well, we'll say the book world uh, that completely contradicts something we established in the audio world. So... Um, uh, what makes something canonical is, is more or less the consistency that we're trying to bring to the show. But then there are other things that are just dependent on interpretation. The latitude of something like The Imagination Station or Wits End, even what's in Wits End, um, mm-hmm. is is fascinating to us and we love to explore it.
2: And uh, we recently did an interview with Brock Eastman and we discussed how you guys view what happens in the OAC club, the Nazi Adventure Club. Versus what goes on, what what's been going on on the radio, and honestly, I kind of like to get your take on it. One thing I've noticed is, of course, as most people as most people know, album 58 was released to the club early, so those who have the club have already heard the conclusion to 58, right, with one of your classic cliffhangers. But when you go back and you're listening through to episodes that include Wooten in uh, the OAC during this time and it doesn't have any, the conclusion of 50, it has no bearing on that, how does the OAC world mix with what is on the radio in terms of major storylines, like what happened, like things that happened in 58?
0: Well, the thing we're trying to do with both, and, um, and it's basically running parallel worlds. Um, so the idea with the OAC is that we've got characters who are having adventures that they may or may not reference in uh, I want to call it the regular world, the the uh, non OAC Odyssey, but the fact that something happens to a person in one doesn't necessarily mean it has to be referenced in the other. For example, uh, I'll use well I'll use Nathan Hubler as an example. So Nathan uh, is married, but you may or may not know that. And in the course of his work, in the course of his work, or in the course of his interactions with people, it may not even come up. So, in album fifty-eight, you have a variety of different things that are happening, but they may or may not be relevant to um, uh, to what happens over in in the OAC adventures. Uh, we don't reference everything about everybody all the time. So let me uh, let me expand that then. So. Let's just say hypothetically, without there being a spoiler, let's just say that um, uh, Wooten and Penny are considering getting married. And the fact that they're considering Mm -hmm. doing that is still up in the air, which means that if Wooten has an adventure over in the OAC, he may or may not reference it. It's not the center of his life. He's doing all kinds of other things. If we do an episode with him delivering mail, it may or may not come up that he and Penny are considering getting married. Now, if Wooten and Penny were to get married, and we did this with Eugene and Katrina, everything changes. So it does become, if not a constant reference, it does become part of the canon, because now they're married. So while they're in a state of flux, we feel like it's okay not to reference everything all the time, even though the fans consider it huge and significant. In the characters' normal lives, it just may not come up in conversation. So that's the difference between the two. Um, those things that are kind okay. of in a state of flux and then those things that are locked down. And mm-hmm. and that's how we're juggling it between the adventures that are being heard in the OAC and how they overlap or don't overlap with uh, things going on in, in the non-OAC episodes. Does, does that explain it? I, I hope that helps. Okay.
2: Yeah, I think it makes sense. Well, it helps me. So, um... Speaking of marriage and things of that nature, what's your opinion on the oddly popular fan idea of
0: Connie marrying Jason? Well, I have to admit that the team were, were, were kind of um, tickled by the whole thing because for a long, long time, fans were saying, well, Connie and Eugene should get married. And it, that didn't necessarily make any sense to us. Um, but, you know, we could understand that the chemistry mm-hmm. between them made fans think that maybe they could. Well, then, of course, Eugene married Katrina, and then suddenly, over the last, I don't know, couple of years, it seems like people are uh, saying that Connie and Jason should get married. Now, I I find that a little bit peculiar because of their age difference, um, which I think is substantial, but that shouldn't always impact. It doesn't always impact what happens with people Mm -hmm. getting married, but... um, I I think even Connie herself considers it a bit strange because she would view Jason as an older brother, uh, if nothing else. And I think Jason might find it just downright creepy. So (laughs) I I, I don't know why the fans have grabbed on to that. But um, at this point, I don't think we have any intentions of developing a relationship between Jason and Connie uh, in that direction. (laughs) That's probably a good thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty funny the the ideas that kind of. But uh, but uh, Pound Foolish also asks. I realize that this is mainly a Nathan Hubler thing, but there are many fan sites and message boards that you. Uh, are there any fan sites that you enjoy visiting?
0: Um, I, I'll, I'll sometimes wander into them. i I'm, I'm sometimes. I'm, I get curious about what. Uh, fans are saying and i do like to go in occasionally i don't go in very often uh because we we have to find the balance between uh the creativity that we're employing and that we're developing for the show and with respect to where those suggestions are between what the fans want and what the fans say and and the track that we're on and and so we have to be well I have to be careful with that. I don't know how the other guys feel, but but I'm very careful. Every now and again, I'll go in just to take a look to see what fans are saying and to get a sense of uh, what their moods are and what their opinions are because we respect them. I mean, we do take them very seriously. we 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 love our fans and we mm-hmm. ref- we, we really do respect our fans. and uh, uh, but because of that respect, yeah. i do I do have to be very, very careful um uh going in and, and reading them too much. Yeah. yeah. I noticed at the beginning
1: of fifty eight, Connie even said that uh everybody knows that uh Katrina and Eugene are gonna adopt Buck right. and sort of stating the obvious is such
0: a uh experience like uh she's speaking for the fans almost during that line. Right. Right. And 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 admittedly that was that was a, a wink to the fans too. Uh but the funny thing is the fans um uh, and I, I don't envy any program having to deal with this. But the fact is, because of these boards and because of so much of the instant online reactions to stuff, um, an idea that we had ages ago, for example, when Buck, even before Buck appeared in Green Ring, we anytime we introduce characters, we try to work out their future and we try to think through how how is it that we're. Uh, If we're going to introduce this character, uh, we don't want to just keep throwing new characters at the show and not do anything with them. What's his future with the show? And so way back as the relationship between especially Katrina and her deep concern for Buck uh, was developing through Green Ring, we did have it in mind um, that he could come back and maybe they Mm -hmm. could be guardians. Uh, I don't know that we ever went the direction Connie, Connie actually referenced something more than we ever intended, but we knew the fans were thinking it—that Eugenia and Katrina would adopt yeah. Buck—and uh, and so that's why we referenced it. But uh, it is funny how the fans can sometimes go in the direction that we're already going, but the problem is by by the time you produce the episode. Uh, then the fans may be thinking, well, we we dictated that. We determined that for them. We told them to do it, and they (laughs) did it. When, in fact, it had been part of the plan all along, they just happened to guess right. Yeah, that makes sense. And on occasion, we may actually change something just to tease the fans or to throw the fans off the track. I mean, that sounds cruel, but the fact is, yeah. if if something seems so obvious that everybody gets it and then when by the time we get to it it's not going to be a surprise anymore then I think uh, we we have on one or two occasions changed our minds and said well if it's that predictable then I think we need to do something else yeah, yeah it makes sense and so getting right into
2: 58 discussion um, we had three questions we kind of wanted to lump together here um, two of them here are from Leonard Meltzner Uh, his questions were, he said, Phil Lawler has mentioned before that A.R. very nearly did an episode about homosexuality in the early 90s. What made you decide not to do it then, but to write it now? How did you go about handling the writing of such an explosive topic? And he also noted uh, that a huge focus of this season is about family structure and gay marriage specifically. If you guys want to teach kids about it, Why do the words gay and homosexual never appear in the entire album? How can you teach kids anything when you're dancing around a topic without ever explicitly saying what you're talking about? And Ruth Sullen said, I understand folks on the family's position on same-sex marriage, and I'm not surprised that it was the position that was advocated by the show. I am, however, disappointed that the only advocates for marriage equality were portrayed as business people looking to make a profit and a teacher trying to influence students too liberal thinking is there any reason for this there are many devout christians who affirm same-sex relationships i imagine this could have been handled as halloween was in the episode what are we going to do about halloween it would have been nice to see more sides of the issue
0: okay well um and i'll, I'll try to tackle this as best as i can because all three questions come at it from a different from different directions but they're at the heart of it the answer is, is uh they're several things to say about it. Number one is Adventures in Odyssey is primarily written for 8 to 12 year olds. And a lot of what we do, we acknowledge that we are a teaching show. But if you go back through the history of the show, most of what we're teaching are things that are, are really more affirming. We are trying to line up with what parents are already, we hope they're already teaching their kids. And, um... We're trying to create dramatic story means to reinforce that teaching. Very traditional, biblically-based Christian ideas. Uh, Very rarely will we venture into areas that might encroach on the teachings uh, that kids are getting from their parents already. We're very cautious to uh, introduce something into the show that will put parents in an awkward position we, the show is never meant to usurp the authority of parents teaching their kids what they want their kids to know. And that's why with album 58, with the ties that bind, we created a discussion guide because unlike a very direct teaching situation where, you know, in the show, we will do very on the nose. Here's the message. Here's your takeaway. And again, usually those messages are going to reinforce what we hope parents are already teaching their kids. With The Ties That Bind, I wanted it to be different from, for example, The Truth Chronicles, which was fairly on the nose, very direct teaching based on The Truth Project. Well, the starting point for this album was uh, The Family Project, which is uh, a a kind of like a Truth Project curriculum-based series that we've produced um, for adults that explores God's teaching, and design for family, for marriage and family. So we said, well, we should do Odyssey episodes, exploring those themes. And the key word here is exploring. Because rather than, I mean, it has some very specific teaching moments in it. But if you really step further back, you're going to see that the plot situations and a lot of the things that we introduce are exploring marriage and family from a variety of different angles. And many of them are very subtle. In fact, some of the questions show me that maybe they were too subtle, but uh, they were very subtle. And But they're all there, and hopefully the discussion guide helps pull them out. Now, he- here's the thing. The main idea was to affirm God's design for family, uh, which says marriage and family were not an afterthought by God. Uh, they're not merely a social construct or some sort of civil contractual construct the essence of marriage and and family come from god himself inherent within the design of mankind so first and foremost with this album um, we wanted to affirm god's design for family for marriage and and do that simply just put that out there now the variations of that in our culture and and the the many ways that people can sidestep God's design for marriage and family. In many ways, it's just not appropriate for our audience, 8 to 12 year olds, and have to be very careful how we deal with that. So to your first question, one of the reasons why we did not do the script that Phil Lawler had written back in the 90s, which was called One in Ten, was because we couldn't figure out how to do it in a radio drama without... Um, either being explicit enough to explain it, which has a a certain amount of uh, corruption to it. I mean, you're putting something in kids' minds that um, uh, you shouldn't necessarily have there. But uh, obviously, radio drama is about uh, mental images. It's one of the reasons why we have never done uh, a drama on Odyssey about pornography, because... Uh, to some to what degree do you have to try to describe what it is the characters are seeing and then tell them that they shouldn't be seeing that it's like saying i don't want you to think about something terrible and tell you what it is and now you're thinking about it <laughs> and now i'm telling you that you shouldn't be thinking about it so again we don't want to encroach on a parental authority and how far parents want to go in their discussions with kids on this so with um with the with the album really it was first and foremost, to affirm God's design for marriage and family, and then to touch on the things that are going on in our culture that uh, are varying from God's design and all the philosophies and arguments in favor of abandoning God's design for other alternatives. Those other alternatives could be a lot of different things. So, uh, the questions themselves are very specific about Us discussing homosexuality for example when in fact the reason why it's never mentioned specifically is for the same reason I'm not mentioning all the other variations out there and there are more than just uh, homosexual variations on God's design for marriage and family Uh, so I hope that answers at least part of the the three questions So, uh, and and, and that's going to be the main thing, is respect for parents, being aware of our audience, but also being aware, and I'm just going to say it clearly, the series was not an anti-homosexual series. In other words, if people want to take it that way, because I'm affirming that God's design for marriage is a man and a woman in a lifetime relationship with kids, that's the design. But if people want to say, oh, well, he's talking about this or that or the other thing, well, they may conclude that. But um, I'm actually thinking more broadly about the impact of what happens when uh, we sidestep God's design for the alternatives. Yeah. I
1: actually noticed that uh, the album as a whole seemed to be more about uh, uh, bringing up discussion points, not so much like telling people this is the way it is and this is what you think should think about it. Or this is what the Bible says, but just sort of saying that here's the situation and like sort of this is a discussion that we should have. and It's not something that's just spoken, like, you know, talking to the kids about it. Right.
0: Sure. And, and if you get if you reduce it down to its simplest form, it says, look, God has a design for us. And when we sidestep that design, there are consequences. And those consequences show up in a lot of different ways. So that's one recurring theme that you'll see throughout all of those episodes and in some episodes to come. And it'll show up in so many different ways based on our culture. And of course, I also needed to, uh, because we want to equip uh, our listeners with the discussion points, or let's say uh, when people are talking about inclusivity and tolerance, and they're using a lot of words that Mm -hmm. sound good in and of themselves, or they even talk about marriage and family, But they may not be talking about it the way, uh, let's say, a traditional Christian means it. Uh, We also wanted the album to raise those words and how words are changing and can even be confusing and uh, address those so that listeners become more aware of the other point of view than the one they're probably getting through a lot of the TV that they're watching, a lot of books they're reading, things like that. And again, I wanted to keep it broad Mm-hmm. Uh, and how we approached it uh, so that parents can can weigh in and say what they have to say uh, without our encroaching on their authority.
2: Uh, oh, sorry, guys.
0: What what happened?
1: Um. Well, it's a, at about 30 minutes. So I've decided to make an executive decision to stop the episode. And also because the tapes kind of mangled and I'll have to fix it.
2: Wow. Just wow. So hard to find your help these days.
1: Hey, I am great help. I am helping your episode not be too long. Uh Just put it that way. Okay. Anyway, I guess we're going to have to wait till next time to hear the rest of the interview.
2: I'll tell you what, Ryan. If you'll bring some refreshments, we'll let you stick around and enjoy the refreshments with us. Okay.
1: And, uh, Bren, if you bring the refreshments instead of me, then I'll stick around and edit the episode. Okay. I guess that works. I don't know what just happened to everybody, but it's taken care of itself. Anyway... If you want to email us, you can and do that. And if you want to go to our website, you can also do that. I don't know how, Bren. Uh,
2: you can do all that by going to T-H-E-W-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T.com. The com. The podcast. Yeah, and that will have all of our contact information there. And I believe it has links to subscribe to iTunes and all the different kind of places. And you can always find us on various social media pages by searching the WE podcast.
1: Thank you for listening, everybody, and we'll see you on part two. Also, remember, the best is yet to come.